Dave's Podcast, Episode 21. Hazel Dean, Challenging Behaviour, Death, Funeral, Wedding and Disney. So I handed in my notice at Faulkner's Heating Engineering in June 2002. They did offer me more money, which was a bit of a first, but it was time to move on. I had had an interview at Hazeldean, a residential home. The manager, Lynn, seemed very nice. She explained that although I had experience with Pat, it wasn't enough to start me on a higher grade. The work was shift work, 8 in the morning till 2 in the afternoon, and then 2 till 10 at night. And then about once a week, you would do a sleep-in, which meant you would do a 2 till 10 shift and then sleep in, get up and do an 8 till 2 shift in the afternoon. You were doing a sleep in to help support the night staff if required. If you did a sleep in, you were paid £28. But after I left, nationally the care industry went to court and got this turned over and it argued that you should receive your normal hourly rate of pay, as in fact you were still stuck at work. But I was at Hazeldean for four years. I did an average of one sleepover a week, so that must add up to a good couple of hundred. But I was only ever called into action once, and that was on my very first night. One residence, who I shall call BM, had epilepsy, but it mainly occurred at night when he was asleep. He was monitored by the night staff using a monitor. I had been asleep a few hours when a shout woke me up. I jumped up and ran into BM's door, which was open. He had had an epileptic seizure and fallen out of bed. Unluckily, beside his bed, he had left a mug full of felt-tip pens. These were hanging off his head, They had fortunately missed his eye and they hadn't really broken the skin. BM was helped back into bed. I went back to sleep and I was never called on again that night or indeed any of the times I ever did sleepovers. I'm going to refer to the residence by initials. Although it's nearly 20 years since I worked here and I know for a fact that one of the residents sadly has died, I don't want to cause any confidential issues. But I'm racing ahead here. First, I was doing a week shadowing staff and working nine till five. When I arrived, it was all a bit daunting. All the residents were up and very excited. There were lots going on. Some were getting ready to go to daycare. A lot of the residents went to Stepping Stones Day Service This is where Debbie worked. By now, I knew all the staff at Stepping Stones very well, having been to many Christmas do's. As you know, I do like a Christmas do. So, I was quite nervous. I only knew Adrian, who had recommended me for the job. 
one staff member took it on himself to show me around, and I shall call him Dick Ed, for reasons that will become apparent. He pointed out a particular residence, JC, saying, Never turn your back on him. This was completely unprofessional and inappropriate. I came to know this resident very well and supported him on many holidays. I always treated him with respect and after I had been there a few months, he invited me to look round his room. This was a big deal. Many people who had worked there for many years had never seen inside his room. I understood that this was a privilege. Well, his room. Well, the ceiling was covered in wind catchers and shiny jewellery hanging down. It was a total sensory overload. He had a telly and a video, and on his bedside table he had his remote controls meticulously set out in lines. But I mean every control from all his previous TVs. There must have been about 20, all lined up in a row. The funny thing was, they were set in thick dust. Although JC liked everything in a rigorous set and correct manner and pattern, he wasn't a fan of dusting. I picked one up and swapped it with another. Oh no, Dave! He jumped forward and returned them to their exact position. But he was smiling. He trusted me. When I went downstairs and told the other staff I had been in JC's room, they were all amazed, as they had never got past his door. So back to my first week. Oh yes, Dick Ed. Well, the other thing that annoyed me, well, lots of things annoyed me about him. He was a big oaf. In the first few years, Choice, the company that owned Hazeldean, was trying to reduce staff absences. They had proposed a bonus scheme. If you had no sick days for six months, you got a £200 payment. Mr Dick Ed argued that he could have three weeks off sick without any investigation, which was worth more than the money. I pointed out that only if you had no morals at all, this would be relevant. I had the payment a few times. Twelve years of being self-employed had got me in the habit of never bunking off work. But Dick Ed's days were numbered. Lynn was a new manager and she had new ideas and the old regime, it was time to go. The setup of the house was a semi-detached unit knocked together and a separate house next door. So in effect, three houses. A total of nine residents lived at Hazeldean, six in the two houses and three in the house on its own. In this house, the residents were far more independent and had the support of only one staff member. They could do their own cooking, washing and daily care. I didn't work there very often. We had set staff who put themselves forward. They were quite happy to work there, but I found it a bit boring. After shadowing staff for a week, I had met most of the people working there. You would have five people on at a shift at any one time. But as a driver, I was often out and about. A couple of the residents worked in a placement the other side of Newbury, 
So if I was taking them, by the time I'd driven there and back, two hours of my shift was already done. I could be down to take residents to stepping stones. I would take them there and sit and wait while they had their session, cooking or computers. Debbie was always in her ultra-professional working mode, which I found rather daunting. But I'd better run through a normal day. So we would arrive at 8am for a shift. I lived around five miles from Hazeldean, but I was always on time. Most staff lived close by. They rented properties in Tylehurst or on the Oxford Road, but they would quite often be late. We would start handover from night staff. This would cover any seizures that BM had had. This would often affect his mood. If he had had a few over the, over the night, he would be overly tired and a bit grumpy. It would also cover if any other residents had been up during the night. The night staff also had a strict, strict cleaning regime. They handed over if they needed any more cleaning products or something needed repair or replacing. The night staff would then go home to bed. I only did one night shift, covering someone when they phoned in sick. I had to monitor BM and record his seizures. I wasn't expected to do any cleaning because I didn't know what needed doing, so I settled down to watch telly in an effort to stay awake. Now, this particular night, it was the night of the American Super Bowl. I thought I'd try and watch and endeavour to understand the rules. Now, this particular Super Bowl was when Janet Jackson was doing the halftime show. Now, not being a fan of Janet Jackson, I flicked around the channels during her act. But I was amazed the following morning at handover when all the talk was of a clothing malfunction which TVM had covered and it had been all over the news. Janet Jackson's top had fallen down revealing her breast. Look it up, I'm sure you'll find it on YouTube. I'm going to check it right now. Because I was completely ignorant of this and missed it, and I still never really understood the rules of American football. Anyway, back to the day shift. After the night staff had gone home, the shift leader would allocate jobs and pass on any relevant information. You would have two staff on medication. Uh, well, they weren't staff on medication, but they were in charge of administering medication. One would administer and one would witness and sign. Now, Hazeldean had a new manager who was instigating many new policies and procedures. But as I was new, it was all new to me, so it wasn't much of a deal. But I had to deal with a lot of the negativity and the backlash of the old order. The old policy was to knock on a resident's bedroom door, walk straight in and administer medication. A bit quite evasive and antiquated. So the new idea was to knock on the door and encourage the resident to come and open the door. A lot of the older staff were not convinced and didn't think it would ever work. But we persevered and the residents eventually came to understand that this was a far better way of administering the medication.
if you weren't on medication. You could be put on personal care. Depending on the day, we would encourage all six to have a bath, shave or shower in the two bathrooms. Some just needed a knock telling him it was their time. BM would often be in a mood in the morning, especially if it had a few seizures in the night. He was quite happy if he had day service and a reason to get up. But he needed to be monitored in the bathroom. In case he fell asleep in the bath, had a seizure and drowned. So much paperwork. But he was an intensely private chap and hated the thought of someone sitting outside. Now BM was also obsessed with James Bond. Most mornings he would begin and we would hear it downstairs through the monitor, the sound of a James Bond film starting. So if he was outside his bathroom, after it had been quiet for some time, I would call out, You all right in there, mate? BM would often choose not to reply. So at this time, mobile phones had just started to have ringtones that you could buy. So I paid for the James Bond theme over my phone. So I could play it over my phone and BM would say, James Bond, and I would know he was safe. Only once did he have a seizure in the bath. I wasn't on shift, but an employer had to break down the door, pull out the plug, cover BM with a duvet before dragging him out the water and possibly saving his life. After personal care, I would normally be driving someone. I was quite happy doing this as it used up time on my shift and got me out of the Monday tasks of cooking and laundering. Other changes being instigated by Lynn, the new manager, was individuals were being responsible for doing their planning, planning their shopping list and doing their own cooking. This made sense to me as JC would have a curry every night. So we would supervise individual lunches following the residents' meal plan. We would then do any lunchtime medication. We would also fill out reports on activities or if there'd been any other seizures. At two in the afternoon, staff would arrive, there would be a short meeting in the office a handover covering any events and problems during the morning. Then the morning staff would go home and the afternoon staff started. If I was on afternoon shift, I would often then be going off driving, collecting people from their work placements in Newbury or taking people to stepping stones. On return, we would uh, supervise the service users to make their evening meal and then some would relax in the lounge or in their rooms. Nine o'clock, it would be medication, and then there would be a handover to night staff, and then we would head home. So I would be coming home about 10 o'clock. I remember once I attracted an unmarked police car, and they followed me, and I wondered what they were doing. This car was right up behind me. I turned into our road, and then the blue lights came on, and they pulled me over. They questioned where I had been and I explained that I was working shifts at a home for adults with learning difficulties. Oh, that must be hard work. Oh yes it is, I laid it on a bit thick then. 
In the end, they shook my hand and sent me on my way. So, Hazeldean, it all sounds rather rosy and nice. And when it was good, it was lovely. But when it was bad, it was really bad. You see, most of the service users had major challenging behaviours. Now, these would manifest themselves in violence, trying to hit, scratch, bite either you or another resident. In extreme cases, staff would have to intervene and restrain a resident. This involved holding them down on their front and while holding their arms until they calmed down sufficiently to direct them to the quiet room where they could continue calming down and then we could talk out the problem. As I was new, I had not had any relevant training and wasn't involved in this at first. But after a few weeks and various training courses, I would be called into action. It was exhausting at the time, as you would have all this adrenaline pumping through you. You really relied on your fellow workers supporting you when you needed it and when you called. I was hit, scratched and punched, which I could handle. But the worst thing I ever had to deal with was being spat at. This only happened once, but it upset me more than anything. I once responded to raised voices coming from the lounge. I met BM on the way out of the lounge and he kicked me with all his might. Bearing in mind that he had bare feet, he still cracked into my shin and made his own toe bleed. Right, BM. Take yourself off to the calm room. He did this. I think he was a bit shocked that I had raised my voice, but he really did kick me. After a while, I slowly opened the door into the calm room. The room was set out with one armchair, carpeted and had calming sea view pictures on the wall. But there was BM lying on his back in the middle of the room with his arms and legs in the air kind of like a game of dead ants. I cautiously got down and assumed the same position. Now, if he was still angry, this would have put me in a very dangerous situation. BM was quite a big bloke, but I was confident. Is this helping you to relax? Yes, Dave, said BM, and he smiled. So what was all that about? Well, MK, another service user, was being annoying. He kept turning over the TV. So why did you kick me? Oh, well, I'm not allowed to kick other residents. But you kicked me really hard and it hurt. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, Dave. Oh, fair enough, I said. But during the time I was there, with the help of Lynn and the psychologist, We eventually instigated a policy and stopped doing restraints, except in extreme situations. What really annoyed me, after a big incident, which all the staff had been involved in, there would be large amounts of paperwork. If you did a restraint, you had to fill in a two-page A4 form, and this would be passed on to the psychologist to review. But as the other staff all smoked, and they would be a bit stressed, After an incident, they would all disappear to the smoking area. 
as I didn't smoke, it was a case of, uh, oh, you were right doing the paperwork, Dave. Having had experience of doing restraint and the training involved and the paperwork, I can say how terrible it is that the events in the USA involving restraining someone by kneeling on their throat. How could that ever be a policy, an okay in any way? It is abhorrent. But the majority of the time it was good. Say, a good day I could take Jay, a big football fan, to watch Reading Reserves at the Medeski Stadium. I would be sat there and thinking I'm being paid to watch Reading. Jay was actually from Brentford in London. He was a Reading fan and would always be seen wearing a Reading shirt most days. But if he got angry and cross with me, he would then maintain that he was in fact a Brentford fan. I became his key worker, which meant I was responsible for maintaining his family links, doing his clothes shopping and arranging his holidays. I had to support him in various family issues. The first time I had to support him, I had arranged for him to visit his stepfather, who was dying of cancer. I had to drive him up to Brentford on a Saturday. He lived in a council estate in the shadow of the old Brentford football ground. In the front room of his house was a bed, with this man in a coma, or certainly not conscious, for the whole time we were there. Jay went in and his sister walked out, ignoring him, completely blanking Jay. I thought it was a bit odd. We sat there for a good hour. I don't know whether Jay really understood what was going on, and I'm not sure whether he'd had a relationship with this chap before he'd moved into Hazeldean. But anyway, I did what I was requested. After an hour, we'd left. As we walked out the door, we could hear someone shouting. Above us, out of a flat window, was his sister, the bitch, who had blanked him earlier. I love you, Jay, she shouted. Families, I had to try and explain her behaviour to him. It was always the same. We had to pick up and deal with any behaviours that had occurred after this action. So, after this visit, inevitably, there was a funeral. Luckily, I had the support of Lynn, my manager, to come with me. Jay was all dressed in his best suit, but he didn't really know how he was expected to behave. So we were just there to offer support at the back of the crematorium. But this particular crematorium, they did that thing where they handed out red roses to everyone to put on the coffin. My manager whispered to me, don't you let me get a rose. But by the time they got to us, I managed to hide my rose, throw it in the floor and kick it behind me. So a few months go by and Jay's mum got married to a one-armed chef called John. I don't know what his other arm was called. So Jay had his suit on again and we're off to Brentford Registry Office. And during the service, they read out Jay's mum's full name. His sister, remember the bitch, then shouted out, and I quote, Fucking hell, I never knew that was your name. At this point, 
the registrar brought the service to an abrupt halt. I have to remind you that this is a serious occasion. Please respect where you are or have you removed. She muttered under her breath but kept quiet. We left there and the five of us, Jay, his sister the bitch, Jay's mum and John the one-armed chef. I mean, how can you even chop stuff with one arm? He did tell me that his claim to fame was that he worked on Princess Diana's wedding reception. But I don't know. I mean, his arm was off at the shoulder. This wasn't a minor onion chopping accident. Anyway, we ended up at this seedy pub right under the north stand of Brentford Football Ground with curly sandwiches, sausage rolls and various other grey food. God, I really needed a beer, but I had to be professional. After an hour, they were all had been drinking heavily and Jay's mum was endeavouring to get me to dance, but I managed to convince Jay that it really was time to leave. After I had been at Hazeldean a month, I had a review. Lynn, my manager said she was amazed how well I had fitted in and I had totally got the way to treat the service user. Praise, I hadn't had that many times in my working life. She put me on the holiday to Disney Paris in the autumn. We were taking four residents to stay in a chateau with a trip to Disneyland Paris. I was down to drive with Adrian, but a month before I was done with speeding in the firm's Volkswagen Charan and reached nine points so I was taken off driving. But Adrian was cool and I managed to stay on the trip and he said he would do all the driving. It was BM, JC and two other service users. We drove, uh, well Adrian drove, down to Dover and we made our way to the Champagne area of France. We had a large chateau and I was put in charge of monitoring BM at night, as Adrian was a very deep sleeper. I did this on many holidays with Adrian and BM and JC, who got on very well together. So I was always down to monitor BM's night seizures, which meant very little sleep for me during the week. But often BM was very relaxed on holiday and had a far few seizures. One time, we had been on holiday from the Saturday to the Thursday and I had recorded no seizures. I was getting worried, telling Adrian that maybe I was missing them. Then, in the early hours of Friday morning, I heard the telltale guttural noise of a seizure. I ran to BM's bedroom. But hold on, this was coming from JC's bedroom. He was impersonating BM. Back home at Hazeldean, his bedroom was right next door and he had perfected the noise exactly. I banged on JC's door and he was giggling. But I couldn't get too angry. An hour later, BM had a seizure and I was reassured that I hadn't been missing them. This is quite a complicated story. But on the France holiday, BM had brought a new wallet. He had kept the sticker with the barcode on it. Now, 
when we went to a supermarket the following day and BM walked through a security door, it set off an alarm. And armed with a gun, a security officer arrived. Now, no one spoke French very well and we didn't know what was going on. BM was getting more and more aggressive and agitated. The other thing I need to tell you is BM had a fascination for guns. He would often fashion them out of cardboard. But he must have done quite a good job because someone did call the police because they saw him standing at the window with a gun once, silhouetted. But anyway, but back in France, we eventually work out that this barcode of this wallet he'd bought the previous day was what had set the alarm off. I had to entice BM outside. I lit a cigarette for him and calmed him down. BM was a big bloke and I've no idea how he would have reacted if the French policemen had pulled their guns. So eventually came our day to go to Disneyland. Now, I'm not a big fan of roller coasters. I don't know why you would put yourself through something like that. But when we arrived... Lynn informed me that she wasn't keen, but informed me that it would be my job to support the service users on the rides. Dave, that runaway train had a double loop the loop. I have no idea. I had my eyes shut the whole time. The chateau was set right next to a river. The front of the house had a jetty, and each night anglers would come down and fish. They were pole fishermen, not from Poland, but Frenchmen who used long fibreglass extending poles. JC and BM were fascinated by this. JC screamed with excitement when the fisherman caught a tiny fish. This set Adrian and I on a plan that we would convince BM and JC that they should go on a fishing holidays the following year but more of Hazel Dean and more holidays in the next episode. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode, you know what you gotta do. You gotta like it, and you gotta share it.